Father, what a privilege to be here in this place. What a privilege to come to hear your voice. And God, we want to ask that your word would speak to our hearts. You've promised in Isaiah 55 that your word will accomplish what you send it for. We claim that promise this morning. We ask that it would be your voice and your word that speaks to our hearts. Holy Spirit, please take over. Grab our attention. Focus us on yourself, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The auditorium was filled with pomp and circumstance as the king came in and his royal entourage came in with him. The governor and and procurator, they came in all together and as they came into the auditorium, there was a purposeful display of regalia. There were royal robes, there were swords that were glistening, there were soldiers, there was a, a, a real display of pomp and power in that auditorium. And it was widely contrasted with the prisoner who was brought in on the other side of the auditorium, prisoner in chains, who stood before them. As he stood there, the king said to him, well, you can go ahead and make a testimony for yourself. You can go ahead and defend yourself today. And so, the man who, from all appearances, was a criminal, from all appearances, was a tired, worn criminal, began to happily share the story of his life. And his story goes along well with what we talked about last week. In John 10.10, what does it say? The thief has come Not but to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have, what does it say? Life and life more abundantly. We talked last week about how the enemy comes in to distract and to detract in our relationships from all that God is longing to do. And how he did that from the very beginning because God created, and in Eden he created Adam first, and he wanted him to have this sense that it wasn't good that he didn't have a helper that was comparable to him. And then when God brought him Eve, there was this beautiful moment, and then God finally said it is very good because We learned last week that the fundamental reality is social. That social that that reality is fundamentally social. But that all got broken up by the serpent who came in and deceived Eve and tried to trick him, saying that God was trying to hold something back from him, trying to keep something back that was for her good and for Adam's good. Today, we want to look at a story where the Apostle Paul shares his own testimony about what God did for him in Acts chapter 26. This was his favorite story to tell. And this is the third time that he tells it in the book of Acts. But Acts chapter 26, and we'll pick up the story in verse 2 of chapter 26. Paul basically starts off saying, I am so happy that I get to tell you the story. He said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. 
that I'm happy that I've, I've been accused and that it's put me in this place where now I get to, to testify before you about what has taken place in my life. I get to tell you the story of what has happened in my life. You know, Paul recognized the source of division, the source of strivings, the source of animosity in relationships. He knew where all of that came from. He knew because he had experienced it in his own life. If you look down in verse, uh, if you go down to verse, we'll go to verse 10, talking about how, verse 9 actually, indeed I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He tells the story about how he was so passionate about what he saw to be right, that he had gone to the extent of putting to death, of taking life and property from the Christians. He did everything possible to persecute them. When Stephen tried to testify about God's goodness and about history and all that God had done throughout salvation history, Paul was in hearty agreement with him being stoned. And he held the coats. He was there as one of the witnesses against Stephen. He hated the Christians. He hated to see what they were doing. And he thought that this division had to be put down in any way possible. He was willing to do whatever it took. It reminds me a little bit of when I was in college. So I was in in college in, in the early 2000s, and I remember I was really passionate at the time about politics. Today, politics honestly is so polarized and so divisive that I couldn't tell you today clearly uh, which political party, maybe for you it's really clear exactly how one should align oneself. At the time, it was really clear to me because I'd been listening to a lot of different things that, that had fully convinced me that I knew exactly what was right. And this caused a lot of problems for me. I remember one day when I was in the student center, and it was there, and one of my friends who was also in business classes, we were watching a presidential debate. It was an election year. And as this presidential debate was going on, I began to counteract anything that this guy would say, and I would cheer for the other person, and I was getting really loud and boisterous about it, and I was just sure that I knew that he was totally wrong and I was totally right. Of course, a few days later, we're sitting in class, and we got in a study group together, and I learned that he was actually a really nice guy, even though he knew nothing about politics, and I had been incredibly rude to him. But in fact, I would take this to extremes, where I remember one day my girlfriend and I, uh, not Leah, unfortunately, I wish it was Leah, but uh, we were driving along, and I was getting on the on-ramp when this guy cut me off, and then of all things, I looked and I saw his bumper sticker, which insulted the President of the United States, who I was very fond of. So you can imagine what my sense of justice began to arise in me, and I began to tailgate this guy, I began to honk my horn at them, I began to use all types of motions, and thankfully they couldn't hear what I was saying. And my girlfriend was like, what in the world has gotten into you? It's like, did you see what they did? They're talking about the President of the United States. That's just wrong. That should not be happening. I had this sense of justice about what was right and what was wrong. And here, Paul, he thinks that he knows what's right. He thinks that he knows what's wrong. And he's persecuting Christians. He's putting Christians to death because they're not lining up with the way that he thinks that things should be. 
It's interesting because later on, he writes to the Corinthians and he says something. Turn with me, keep your finger in Acts chapter 26, but turn, to me, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. He's talking to the Corinthians and he's writing them a letter about the time when he was there and how as he shared with the Corinthians that he had to water down his message. He had to, to be very simple in what he shared with them for this specific reason. In verse 3 it says this, For you are still, what does it say? Carnal. What does that mean? The, the word is sarks, flesh. You are still, might we say, unconverted? It says, for you are still carnal. You're still unconverted. You, you haven't experienced the gospel. It says, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Let that sink in for a second. There's divisions among us. If there's divisions in my relationships, if there's divisions in my experience with other people, Paul says it's because I'm carnal. It's because I haven't been converted. It's, it's the flesh inside of me that's creating these divisions, that's creating this strife in my relationships. And so Paul, as he's here and he's declaring this story to Agrippa, he starts off by sharing how, look, I went around and I was trying to kill Christians. Go back to Acts chapter 26. That I punished them, verse 11, often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. That I went to the place of trying to get them to deny Jesus. I did everything possible to try to force them into what I thought was right. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul had this passion to see things be the way that he thought that they should be. And it was creating all types of strife and conflict within his relationships. I've experienced that a lot in my life. I remember family gatherings where that same obsession with politics began to get between me and my grandpa, who's since passed away. And I remember one day where he finally came out and he had, I don't remember if this was the particular occasion, but he had tape over his lips because he wasn't going to talk anymore. We had just argued too much about politics. I thought I knew what was right. Have you been there? Have you felt like you knew what was right? That you knew what should happen in a situation? Well, verse 12 says, While these, this thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Everything changed for Paul when he saw Jesus. And we talked two weeks ago about how God's heart for the last days has to do with relationships. In Malachi chapter 4, it says that the sun will arise with healing in his wings and that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the sons. That he'll bring reconciliation in our relationships. That this is the heart, passion of God for us to be united. 
And as Paul sees this heavenly vision, everything changes for him. And I believe that's for a specific reason. Verse 14, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, "Where? who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Imagine that moment for Paul. He believes that the way religion should be conducted is that you should force people into seeing things in your way. When people are heretics, you should put them to death. You should take them out. He's on his way to kill people who believe differently than him. And suddenly he finds out that he is the one who believes wrong about God. His belief about God is that God wants for you to put people to death. So what does he think that Jesus is going to do to him right now? Having come in, in, in contact with the very one whose people he's persecuting, what do you think he thinks is going to happen to himself? In this moment, you would, you would think that, that he would expect that, that Jesus is going to punish him. That Jesus is going to do what he is planning to do to the Christians, he's going to do to himself. But look at what Jesus does. First of all, he starts off saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is really hard on you. <laughs> this is hard on you. You're kicking against the goads. That's talking about a cattle prod that, like, when, a, when you're prodding a cattle, apparently, when it kicks back against it, it's very painful for the cattle. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I am trying to get you to go the right way. And you're kicking against it and it's really painful for you. It's really only hurting you. The thief is coming to steal and to kill and destroy in your life. But I really want to give you life. I've come to give to you, Paul. And look at what he says, verse 16. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Jesus says, I have come to set you as my ambassador. I'm going to make you the one who goes and gives this message of the gospel. This is the beautiful thing about God. He does the exact same thing after Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree. They come down and uh, he comes down and, and they're running from him and he comes to say, no, I'm actually coming to tell you that it's going to be through your seed that there's going to come a Savior. He comes to pursue them, to bring them back to himself, to bring reconciliation. Jesus comes to Paul in order to bring reconciliation, to, to enhance and, and fix relationships. And Paul later recounting this, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he, he tells us that this changed everything for him. Seeing this picture of the crucified and risen Savior, the love of Christ compelled him to go to the ends of the earth. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 14 tells us that Paul says the love of Christ compels us, but we're going to go down to verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, where Paul tells us how everything changed for him. This is what he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul says, absolutely everything changes when you come face to face with the Savior. When you come to Christ, 
your relationships are radically changed. You experience life in a completely different way. All things are made new. He goes on to describe what these all things look like. Verse 18, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You could say that this is a part of his testimony. He said, God showed up to me and and he revealed to me that he's actually trying to reach out to me, trying to reconcile himself to me. And he wants to give you and I that same ministry of reconciling people to God in order to enhance relationships with God and with others. Verse 19, this is so beautiful. Verse 19 says that it is... That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Paul says, when Jesus showed up to me, He showed up to me to reveal His love for me. When when Christ came, He didn't come to punish us for the sins and the transgressions that we had made. But God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. God wanted to bring reconciliation. He didn't impute. He didn't didn't treat us as sinners. He didn't treat Adam and Eve as sinners. Because the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, Adam and Eve didn't die that day that they ate from the fruit. Because Jesus had already given Himself. He had already chosen to be the sacrifice that gave them the right to life. Recognizing this about God changes everything in our relationships because it converts our hearts. And we become new creations in Christ Jesus where the old can finally be gone and the new can finally come. Verse 20, Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is the entire point of the Gospel. The transformation of your heart and my heart to experience the righteousness of Christ. God wants to to make us brand new creations in Christ Jesus. And when it comes to our relationships, be it with our spouse, be it with our children, be it with that coworker who's difficult to deal with, whatever relationship it is, the righteousness of Christ can change absolutely everything. And I'd like to invite uh, Ron Chalker up to share a little bit of his own testimony about the difference that this concept has made in his own life. Thank you. Good morning. I've been learning a lot about righteousness by faith and how it relates to close, loving relationships. In fact, I'm learning that righteousness by faith is all about relationships. It's relationship between us and God. And as I think about this concept, let's go back to when we first fell in love with Jesus. 
You wanted to be baptized. You wanted to give your life to him. You wanted to open your heart and receive him as a personal savior. And because of that relationship you have with Jesus, the things that you do just comes naturally. Hmm. You're not trying to work, trying to please God. You're not trying to please him by giving tithe, offerings, or trying to do ministry to win his favor. No, we do all of this because he is in our heart and his righteousness just lives there through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so as we receive the Holy Spirit, we become changed like the pastor was talking about. This change, the Bible says, is being born again. It's being a new creation, a new person. Now, let's transfer that over to close relationships, maybe to your spouse, to your children. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I and several of our church members, Zach and Leah and others, went over to Bakersfield to see Yoli and Justin get married. And they were showing the pictures on the screen when they were dating, and, and it, you could just see the love in their eyes. You could see the expressions of just total devotion for each other. Just a beautiful wedding. It was one of the most fantastic weddings I've seen. They really just made it spiritual, and they both gave a testimony where they wanted everyone to experience that love of God for him and how they wanted to minister. And to see those pictures, to see that relationship, is something that all of us want as husbands and wives. Amen? And so as we receive our wife, as we receive that love and that relationship, our heart is filled full of love. And because of that love is in our hearts, do we kind of, oh, I have to mow the lawn because I want to make the wife happy. No, we do it because we want to make the house look nice for her. We want to do things to make her happy because we love her. This is how it works with God. We really want to please him because he lives within us. Now, what happens when you wake up in the morning and you just don't feel it? (laughs) What happens when that love and feeling is, is gone? Well, the Bible says that we have not because we ask not. If we ask for that love, God will give that love to us. It's a very important thing because God wants us to have that close relationship, but it only comes from asking and receiving on a daily basis. That beautiful wedding that Yoli had is a wonderful thing, But if that's all that they ever did or ever saw of each other, it would amount to nothing. But I'm sure they're working on that relationship on a daily basis through communication and expressing love for one another. And when we come to this point where we have to realize that our natural tendency is maybe to be selfish, we have to ask God, to change our hearts, to come into our hearts. That born-again experience we had when we were baptized, that's a wonderful thing. But We need a daily washing of the word, that washing of prayer, and asking Jesus into our heart, and asking Jesus to give that love for our spouse and for our family. A good illustration of, of this is a few months ago, I'm not sure exactly when, but not too long ago, there was a prayer conference in Israel. And there were a group 
of ministers that were Jewish, Messianic ministers that believed in Jesus, and they came together for a three-day prayer conference. And they were praying for one another, praying for, for their nation, of course. And at the end of the three-day conference, they asked a Palestinian minister to give the prayer. And so he stood up and he, he prayed, Dear Lord, give me so much love for my Jewish brothers that I'd be willing to die for them. And then he sat down. A Jewish minister stood up and he said, Lord, give me so much love for my Palestinian brother that I'd be willing to die for him. Well, that changed the whole program. They decided to have another three days of prayer and fasting for one another. This is the kind of prayer that God has for us, that we would experience that love for him, that we'd be willing to die for him because he had that love for us. You know our favorite text, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is willing to die for us. And if he lives within our heart, we'll be willing to do anything for him. It changes everything. It's changed everything in our lives. It should change everything in our lives. And it changed everything in Paul's life. If you go back to Acts chapter 26, you find as the story continues that Paul is delighted with the place that he's in. In fact, as you keep reading down, uh, we'll continue in verse 17. Jesus is continuing saying, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. That's the power that steals and kills and destroys. To the power of God. That's the power of abundant life. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Then he goes on to begin to tell Agrippa about how he himself has gone on to share this testimony that that he has gone on to declare about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's going on telling about this, there's a guy who had invited King Agrippa to hear Paul, Festus. He suddenly breaks out and says, why are you, your, your great learning is driving you insane, Paul. You... You've lost your mind. Verse 27, though, Paul goes on to say this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. He's beginning to make that appeal. He's standing up as an ambassador. You imagine him here in chains. He's there as a prisoner before this royal entourage, this king full of power. He says, I know that you believe. I know that you know in your heart that what Jesus has done is a powerful thing, that the gospel has the power to change lives. Then verse 28, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Here he is as 
king sitting here in this position of authority, and he looks at this lowly prisoner, and there's something beautiful, something powerful, something that he wants as he hears this testimony of a life that's been changed. He said, you almost persuade me that that I should become like you are. Paul goes on to say this in verse 29, and Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. I wish that you could experience the joy, the peace that I have in my life. I wish that you could experience the gospel in your own heart, King Agrippa, because it changes absolutely everything. Paul was a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old was gone and the new had come. He was now an ambassador of the one who had come in Christ to reconcile him to himself, not counting his trespasses against him, not treating him like a criminal. The God of the universe who had given himself to Paul so that Paul could be saved. Paul summarized it all in Galatians 2, verse 20. You probably know the verse well. Galatians 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The love of Christ compels me. I died with Christ. I no longer live for myself anymore because I've realized that religion isn't about taking. I was trying to take lives. I was trying to take property. I was trying to force people into my way of thinking. But now I've realized that the reality is that God is a giver. That that God's glory is to give. That God loves and He gives and He wants to lavish His goodness in our lives. And that has changed everything for me. Paul was a new creation in Christ. And Paul knew, I'm sure very well, the promise of Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to go to Ezekiel chapter 36. And look at a promise that God has given to us. You know, the heart is a powerful thing. As Ron shared Realizing the righteousness of Christ in our lives changes our hearts to give us motives and actions that can help us to live lives that impact our relationships. Because I've been in a lot of relationships where I've created all types of division and strife in ways that were caused because I thought that I was right. I thought that I was, I needed to get something out of that relationship. Have you experienced that in relationships? When you are in a relationship for a selfish purpose, like you want to get something out of that relationship, it never works out. We were doing a Bible study just a couple weeks ago with a young adult who's not here today who was saying, you know, it's totally different when you're in a romantic relationship with somebody who's just trying to get something from you. When you're basing it on the world's principles that it's about what I can get out of this, It's a miserable experience versus the gospel, which is about giving. The gospel of Jesus Christ where he came and he gave himself for the world. Ezekiel chapter 36, God promises us this incredible change that he wants to do in our lives so that we can experience this change. Because naturally, it's not possible. I remember being in college and and, and recognizing that, hey, 
this is a problem how I'm treating people. Yelling at people about the President of the United States isn't okay. Punching holes in walls because I'm unhappy with my girlfriend is not okay. There were so many different things in my life that I knew I needed to change. But just to decide, you know what, I'm going to be loving, didn't change that. I recently sat on a plane on the way to Florida next to a guy who was Buddhist. I didn't know it at the time, but we sat down on the plane. Leah wasn't feeling well. She's resting in my lap, and she's not feeling well at all. And he says, I'm praying for her. I said, oh, thank you so much. That's exactly what we need. Then a little bit later on, he shares this card with me that shows me this chant that he likes to do regularly. And he says, just do this chant and pray like I pray, and it will change absolutely everything in your life. It will cause you to be able to tap into the inner power in yourself that will enable you to be happy. And he began to, to show me these different pictures on his phone. He would, he would swipe through the different pictures of different people who he said, see this young man? He used to be unhappy. He used to not have a job. He used to have no direction in his life. But he began to chant and to pray. And look at how his life has been radically changed. Look at this testimony. Look at that testimony. What do you say to somebody like that? He grew up as a Christian. He had originally believed in God. He said, I was even being trained to become a pastor when I found this beautiful truth about being able to chant and meditate in it to change everything. Towards the end of that plane ride, I just had to tell him, you know what? I'll just be honest with you. I needed love in my life as a young college student. I had a temper problem. I had problems with every area of my life. And I tried to change it. I tried to decide, you know what, I'm going to be loving. I tried to, to tap into any power inside of myself. And it simply didn't work. It led me to be more frustrated. It led me to a dead-end road. But then I found out that I didn't have to do it. That there was a Savior who wanted to change absolutely everything for me. I began to read my Bible every day. I began to ask Jesus to be my Savior from this anger problem, to fill me with love, and He changed absolutely everything in my life. I don't know if that seed will go far with Him. I shared with Him about how, you know, the reality of the universe is that God loves you more than His own existence, that He gave Himself for you, and He just wants for us to accept the gift of salvation and to be transformed by Him. That's exactly what's promised in Ezekiel chapter 36. God talking in verse 25. He says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness, from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart. God is a giver. Every good gift comes from God. And being loving and having a loving relationship comes from God. I will give you a new heart. That's the promise of God. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Have you ever felt like you have a heart of stone? Have you ever felt like, I would love to be a nice person, but I just don't feel like it? This is the promise of what God wants to do for you and I. 
as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we believe in the Gospel that He wants to take out that heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. I will put My Spirit within you. Now when it says flesh, it's different than the New Testament flesh where we're talking about the carnal nature. This is a soft heart. I'm going to give you a, a heart that can feel again. A heart that can empathize again. A heart that cares, that has compassion. Maybe you have friendships in your life where people are struggling. You know, the more that I hear what different people have gone through in their lives, the more I recognize that of myself, I don't have the capacity to care for all the things that people are going through. I need a new heart. I need Jesus living in me like Ron talked about because He can love people. That I no longer live, but that Jesus Christ now lives in me. Then it goes on to say, I will put My Spirit within you, verse 27, and cause you to walk in My statutes. And you will keep My judgments and do them. I'm going to put this heart in you and it's going to motivate you. It's going to give you new motives, new ambitions, new directions in your life. And you are going to be led by the Spirit of God into loving God with all your heart and into loving people. How does this take place? If you jump down to verse 37, talking about this whole experience of chapter 36, God says, Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. God wants to do this in our lives. He's longing to give us a brand new heart. But what do we need to do? To ask. We need to constantly, consistently be coming to God, asking Him to change our hearts, to transform us into the people that He wants us to be. I don't just tell you this today because of Paul's experience, because he really wanted for King Agrippa to realize the power of the gospel in his life. I don't just tell you this today because of all the letters that Paul wrote that it's incredible when you read through the epistles. You read Ephesians and Colossians, Galatians, again and again, Paul's saying, be tender-hearted, kind, compassionate, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. The emphasis of Paul's ministry is on relationships. Restoring relationships. And he cares, God cares about your relationships and wants to see them restored. But I don't just share this because of Paul's experience. But I share this because of some of the things that God has done in my life. And I've come to realize that that conversion is a progressive process. You know, after that time period in college when I had a severe temper, I finally came to Christ, and I've shared that testimony before, but through some rough circumstances, I came to accept God again, to live my life totally for Him, and then I was doing ministry. I went into ministerial training. I got married. Some wonderful things happened in my life, but I'm realizing something. This process of being born again, of getting a fleshly heart, of of having the heart of stone taken out of us, is a continual and growing process. And I don't just want to tell you about it myself today, because I recently heard somebody talking about, if you want to know whether you are a Christian, ask your wife. Somebody was talking about marriage counseling. He said, when somebody comes in, I want to know, are they converted? He said, so I'll first ask the husband, are you converted? And then I'll ask the wife, are you converted? Said, and then I'll ask the wife, is your husband converted? <laughs> and I'll ask the husband, is your wife converted? Because then I know the truth. 
So today I asked Leah to come and share a little bit of some of the things that she saw in me and how challenging they were and the difference that she saw that Jesus can work in a life. And I know she's waiting for Jesus to do a lot more things, but I'm thankful that she's willing to share a few of them today. I told him that I was really hesitant to share. I said, if I share about that kind of stuff, it's going to just feel like I'm dishing out all this bad stuff. And he said, no, I want you to do it. And, you know, when we heard John and Nadine's testimony last Sabbath, I think it gave all of us hope that no matter what situation you're in, what you're facing in your life, God can change that. God can improve our relationships to really help us thrive. When we got married, Zach was a very loving person to me. But when we would get around family for an extended period of time, or when we, and we would get around people that we worked with, there would be these different behaviors that would come out that would just make me kind of cringe. And it usually was always centered around two things. Zach was very competitive, and he was also very sensitive. And so if anyone was better at something than he was, or if someone would say something offensive, or if someone would do something that was wrong... I would just see this frustration and this anger come up. And I'm a person that needs to work on knowing how to be better about confronting issues and dealing with conflict. Well, he was almost too good at it because he would just go after somebody and he would tell them that he was right and he would tell them that they were wrong. And I just hated it because I felt like over and over he was just burning bridges with these different people and we still had to work with these people or... We would be with family, and I just knew before the week was over, something was going to happen. It was just going to be tense enough that he would get offended, or he would feel upset, or he would leave the room, and I just, I hated it. And so often, because I didn't know how well to deal with it, I would just beg him to be nice. I would just say, just be nice. Just please be nice. Just even if they say something, just, just be nice. Just be nice. Well, that didn't go over very well, and the tension in our relationship started to rise because he'd say, why are you always defending the other person? I said, I'm not defending them. I just want you to be nice. Just please be nice. Even if they say something mean, just please be nice. And over and over and over as this would happen, we would work with different people, and often they would be in the wrong, or they would say something mean, or they would say something offensive, but he was so sensitive that it would just like burl up inside of him, and I, I, I didn't know how to deal with it well. Well, When we moved to Michigan, God started doing amazing things in his life, particularly for both of us. But as we moved there, God really inspired him to start spending time with God. And not just every day, a few minutes before work or whatever, but he started spending hours every morning on his face before God with his Bible, praying, asking God to change his heart. And as this happened day after day and week after week and month after month, it was amazing because I didn't do anything to change this. And, you know, I think in relationships sometimes we have this idea that we can change somebody. We can make them nicer. If we just say it enough times, they'll pick up after themselves or they'll do this or they'll do the things that are annoying. They'll stop doing the things that are annoying. But I didn't do anything. And as he spent this time with God, it was so amazing to me. Little by little by little, I noticed even when things were not right, it didn't bother him anymore. People would say things that were, that were rude, granted. And he was like, mm, just kind of let it shake off. And as time went on, I noticed we would be a family and things that used to provoke some type of situation or reaction It didn't happen anymore. And little by little by little, I just saw that God was changing his heart from the inside out. And I remember so many different times he would 
apologize to someone or ask me, hey, would you read this email? I just want to send it. Um, asking someone's forgiveness from way back, like from high school days or from college days or different people that he had hurt. And it touched my heart so much. I mean, I used to think, I just want you to be nice. And now I'm like, God, change my heart like you changed his heart. I know that there's so many times in situations where something will happen to me or some injustice or someone's mean and I'm the one that's wanting to lash out, or I'm the one that's wanting to ignore them. I'm the one that doesn't want to talk to them anymore. I'm not going to be nice to them. And he's begging me, give them the benefit of the doubt. Just pray for them. Just reach out to them. Keep reaching out. Hurt people, hurt people. And it's been amazing to me to see that God can literally change your heart. God can change your heart from the inside out. There have been so many situations where someone has done something mean to me, and I do not have good feelings towards that person. And I'm sure if we had time, you could share many stories that that's happened to you. Someone said something or done something that's really hurt. And at that time, you don't have a loving, wonderful heart towards that person. You're not excited to just reach out and to love them in spite of it. But God can give that to you. I know we worked with someone in years past who really hurt us in a lot of ways. And it was so hard to have positive feelings towards that person. You just, any time a conversation would get started about it, it was just like, ugh, those icky feelings inside. And I started praying, God, give me forgiveness for this person. I don't have forgiveness. God, give me a happy heart towards this person. God, change my heart so that I can actually be with this person and not feel all the hurt and resentment and anger. And I didn't feel that. And it didn't come overnight. It didn't even come within a few weeks or a few months. But I will tell you, after a couple of years of praying that prayer, God totally healed my heart. We can be with that person now, and it's totally fine. We can enjoy each other. I'm not going to sign up to work with them again. Because there are boundaries in relationships that we can definitely respect. But God can change your heart. God has done it for me. I've totally seen it in him. And I pray that we'll claim that promise every day. Ezekiel 36, 26, that God will change our heart from the inside out. That he'll take away our stony hearts. And that he'll give us a soft heart. You know, so often in relationships, we want God just to fix all the other people because our neighbors are annoying and our husband is disrespectful and this and this and this and all our relationship problems seem to be about other people. I wonder this morning if God is trying to open our eyes to see the fact that maybe our hearts need to be changed. Maybe it's us that needs to be able to say, God, work in me first. began to realize that more and more God was bringing me in contact with difficult people so that I could grow, <laughs> not so that I could fix them. In fact, we, had, we noticed that we moved from one job to another job, and we encountered the same exact personality that I had to work for two times in a row, and then began to say, God, don't keep bringing me through this. Help me to learn the lesson this time around. I can't encourage you enough. When things are difficult in a relationship, start with your own heart. That's what I'm realizing more and more. And she's really gracious to me, but she could tell you times probably from this last week where it's like, why don't you have better patience with me? Why? God is still working on my heart. I still need to claim that promise every day. Would you create in me a clean 
heart? Would you create in me a clean heart like David prayed? Would you take away my stony heart and give me a heart of flesh? Would you put your spirit in me and cause me to walk in your ways? I want to love like you love. And that comes through recognizing the love that God has for us. Every day, being there in prayer, being there on our knees, being there reading the Word and seeing that this is the love that He has displayed radically for us. That He didn't impute our trespasses to us, but that He provided a way of salvation. This changes everything for us. It's changing everything for me. And my prayer is that it will change everything in all of our relationships. This week, will you join me in praying that? Will you join me in praying that every day? God, would you create in me a clean heart? Would you give me a new heart? Jesus himself said in Luke 6.45 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He criticized the, the, the Pharisees in, in Matthew 23 because they cleaned the outside of the cup, but they needed to clean the inside so that the inside could bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Will you join me today in committing to pray for a new heart? Just invite you, if that's your desire, if you're able, just to kneel with me as I pray. God, sometimes it seems almost too simple. I mean, we're Christians, and we know the Bible, and we know that Jesus is our Savior, and yet could it be that the reason that there's division and strife and envy and problems in our relationships is that we just need a new heart? Lord, we want to ask today that you would give us a new heart, that you'd fulfill this promise, You'd fulfill the gospel, that you'd come and live in our hearts, that we could have the experience of Paul, that we are so radically fulfilled in you that, that we would want anybody else to be in our position, that we'd want to be ambassadors for you, that we would want to be ministers of reconciliation. Lord God, may we be reconciled to you, and may that lead to reconciliation in other relationships. And Father, I pray for my own heart and for each of us that in whatever difficulties that we face in our relationships, that the first question we'd ask is, what needs to change in me? What is God wanting to change in my heart? Lord, give us that perspective, I pray. May we have a commitment to every day pray that you would give us a new heart, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.